1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. If you like this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Today, it's my honor to sit down with Micah Grunevelt, filmmaker, business owner, and adventurer. Micah, hello, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It means a lot. Of course. My pleasure. So how are things in your neck of the woods?
0: They're really good. They're actually really good. Like I know that this year is a really a struggle year for a lot of people. But for me, I realize I kind of thrive in crisis and uh, being a creative and kind of hitting my existential rock bottom is really good for kind of creating art that means something and kind of figuring out, all right, where, where are we going and what do I want to do and how do I want to do it? And so essentially this year has been kind of amping everything up to a 10 and saying, all right, how do we rock and roll? Like, how do we push forward? How do we make something that we're proud of that we um, feel like we can actually do and kind of get good? Like, I'm finally at that age where I'm getting good at the thing that I've been trained to do. Mm -hmm. And so it feels good to finally feel that skill set developing enough that I can start making it into something that people actually want to (laughs) see.
1: That's always a good thing. Well, congrats, yes. congratulations on that. That's That a, sounds like especially good feeling, a, given, you know, even normal circumstances.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, I mean, that's kind of the nature of this kind of field is it's really kind of torturous. Like, I don't recommend what people do film most of the time. It really does put every single strain on you in every single possible way. It's both a right and left brain medium. And so you have to figure out how to plan and coordinate people's schedules, but then also sit and do the creative work and be vulnerable and put yourself on the actual page. And bringing those two things together is not easy, and, but it's really rewarding. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest challenges that I've ever done, probably the biggest challenge. And forcing me to do that, like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to embrace that sort of fear and challenge. And like, yeah, I get what people mean. They're like, yeah, if it doesn't scare the hell out of you, you're probably not doing it right. And I'm like, okay, I'm terrified, but I'll do it anyway. So it feels really good.
1: Well, good, good. So let's, before we get into what you're doing right now, let's back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So where did your love of film come from?
0: I think it came from having a lot of time as a kid. So I was homeschooled, and so we'd finish school probably at around noon. So I'd be from like 9 to noon, and I would sort of be able to diligently do my classes, and then we'd wrap things up, and then I'd have the rest of the day to myself. And I wasn't going anywhere, so I kind of just was at home. So I spent a lot of time kind of just imagining various different scenarios, and I like to play out and act uh, like I used to have this old – what is it called? cap uh, muskets, one of those. um,
1: Oh, like a cap gun?
0: Yes, cap gun. And I would imagine every single different uh, Civil War reenactment or Revolutionary War reenactment, just myself out in the wilderness. And I remember very clearly one time being shot and killed by an imaginary foe and just lying in the grass for hours because I was dead Mm -hmm. and you had to sort of actually be dead. And I realized I think there was something to that that sort of bolstered an imagination in me. Where Like that's kind of become my thing is like imagination and beauty. Those are the two things I value most highly. And I had a really imaginative childhood. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of took that skill and started developing a lot of other things. And I realized I loved audio books. And so I would imagine them in my own head. And so like the, the Narnia series, they did these great audio drama recordings of those. And I would listen to those on repeat. And while listening to them, I would do um, arts and crafts. So I was really into chainmail for a while. And then I did leatherworking and some blacksmithing. And so from a pretty young age, I knew I kind of wanted to do something fantasy related and something that was kind of beyond reality. And so then that kind of kept developing. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I had kind of an existential crisis around that for a long time where it was like I had heard I always wanted to be the best at whatever I did. And so I would hear these stories of like Wayne Gretzky, who was hockey player and he was skating before he was walking and I'm like shoot I'm too old to be a professional hockey player like there was just it felt like I was I was becoming like 13 14 and realizing it was already too late to be the best at anything Mm -hmm. and then I found filmmaking which was an art and then I learned oh you don't have to be the best at filmmaking you just have to be the best at what you do and so then I was like, okay, cool. Now I can sort of do that. And so it developed a love. I had a friend and like most filmmakers stories start is a friend in the backyard um, shooting random little things on a, a flip phone that you end up having or whatever it can film, whatever you can get. And so we put those together and initially we wanted to be YouTubers. But then that kind of kept developing and we realized is, realized we wanted to tell stories because most of the people on YouTube weren't telling stories at the time. They were kind of just doing like action scenes or skits or things like that. And we were like, no, nah, we want to do something a little bit more serious and a little bit bigger. And then that kind of developed into um, I had a co-op program through my homeschool, which allowed me to get a free year of college. Hmm. And if it was a community college. And so then I sat with the um, the person who sort of recommends where you should go and what you should do with that. And she was like, well, there's a film school that technically is partnered with a community college. You could get a free year of film school if you did this program. And so I was like, all right, well, I didn't plan initially on going to film school, mainly because in film, you don't really need a degree in order mm-hmm. to get to where you want to go. Um, and so, but it was a free year of school. So I was like, oh, well, why not? I mean, I get a free year of film school. Um, and then as soon as I did the orientation, I knew it was kind of my place. Like everyone around, it was the high school experience that I never got. It's like mm-hmm. everyone was interested in the same thing. We all loved movies. We were all there and kind of young and bright-eyed and eager to sort of figure out what this thing was about. And so I kind of found my people and I found my passion. And then I started really realizing like, okay, this is really, really fun. And so I spent probably two years in film school in that sort of mindset of like hanging out with friends and making cool projects. And then I took a year off and that was when I had moved out of my parents' house and started kind of putting together my own life and figuring out what I wanted. Um, I was working a job that allowed me to listen to a lot of podcasts. And Mm -hmm. so I really got a most of my education from that, honestly. And so that made me start asking some bigger questions about life and philosophy and what matters to me and um, what is my purpose and how do I live a good life? And so I took that year off from film school to sort of figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And then I came back to film school ready. I was like, all right, now I feel like I have voice as a director. I feel like I know how to achieve what I want to achieve. So now let's just go see if I can do it. And so then I went back to film school and then I made a short film that did really, really well. Um, and it was really good. And I'm still really proud of that movie. Um, and then it kind of proved to myself. I'm like, OK, I think I can do this. I feel like I'm good enough at this to be able to make this into something. And so then I spent my final year at film school doing one giant project, which was kind of my thesis film. So that one at that point, I had met a bunch of people and had a good team and we made a big a uh, big sci fi movie. Um, and that was really rewarding. The movie ended up turning out, eh, it's okay. We kind of, I think got caught up in a lot of the logistics on how to pull a movie off rather than what the movie was actually about. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I got really high-minded. I wanted to get across really complicated ideas in a short period of time. And one of the important things I've learned with filmmaking is complex simplicity, which is you can either have a really complicated plot and really simple way of exploring it or really simple plot and explore really complicated ideas. And so there's kind of a balance that has to be had between what's complex in your movie and what's simple. Chris Nolan is a good example who uses really complicated plots, but then keeps the characters and how the thing plays out very simple so that we can still follow. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of missed that entire um, connection for that film. But that film taught me, I think, everything that I needed to know to kind of move forward. It was the first film that we had kind of done in a professional way. Um, We did all the proper paperwork and filling out the license. And it was a $10,000 movie. And and it was a big deal to finish that film off and realize, hey, we kind of failed. And we did this giant thing that kind of fails. Um, but at the same time, we knew that we were really proud of it. And we knew that we had pushed ourselves to our very limit. And that was really what we needed from that particular project. So then I finished that entire film. And then I realized, okay, well, I've graduated, what do I wanna do now that I'm done with school? And it was sort of, well, I think I wanna start a business. But I had no idea how to do that, and I had no idea if I was gonna be able to make money doing that, mainly because I was in film, and I had in my head for some reason that I was some art kid, and making money as an art kid is really difficult. But then I started the business with me and my business partner, and we kind of started getting into it and kind of learning as we went, And then we quickly realized, oh no, there's a giant market for this. Everything is moving online. And being able to make film in this age is like essentially being a coder. And so really it just came down to meet the right people, develop some good relationships. And then from there, the rest kind of was history. And so then as the business began to develop, it was like, I was realizing that was a really big strong suit that I had. And I was really grateful for that. But also I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't fulfilled in doing that. It felt very much like we're making things that kind of get made and show to a couple people. And it's, it's getting these businesses where they want to go, but I don't feel like I'm doing my best work. And then kind of the pandemic hits and I kind of hit a crisis of like, all right, well, we don't know what this is. We don't know what this will look like. We don't know how this will change things. I feel like I've lived a pretty good life considering what do I want to do next? And then it was like, This movie. And I had been writing this script for two years um, with my co writer. And it had sort of been gestating in my heart for such a long time that it was okay, now it's time to take all the skills that I have learned and put them into something that is my very best work, that is the culmination of everything that I have learned while still learning in the entire process. And so it's like, yeah, all these skills feel like they all developed to lead me up until this point. And I love that whenever you're like, oh, my gosh, I did chainmail for five years of my life, just making these little bracelets and jewelry and armor. And I didn't know how that would pay off until now. And you're like, oh, yeah, I want to make fantasy movies. Of course, this is going to pay off. And so it's been really rewarding.
1: Yeah, well, that's great. So let's talk about your movie then. So The Noble Animal... Where are you? Or where are you at in the process right now with your movie?
0: We're in pre-production. So we had been writing for the script for two years. I still have rewrites to do on it. Uh, that's the thing about a script is it's not really done until you shoot that those those frames essentially. Mm-hmm. So you're there on the day and you're ready to actually do it. So it's like rewrites and budgeting and planning. So essentially, there's filmmaking is a weird thing because it's kind of like a puzzle where you have all the pieces laid out in front of you and you know that they're all going to come together. You just don't know in what order and when. And so then you start with, okay, well, what are the ones that I know? Well, this section over here with all the blue, all right, all those pieces are going to all fit together, but then you don't know where in the rest of the puzzle that's going to fit. So you can kind of work on a little bit of everything at the same time. And that's kind of what I have been doing. So it's like, well, in order to get the budget that we need, I have to build the schedule and I have to build the timeline and I have to know exactly what we need for each of these different scenes. At the same time, I can start storyboarding and figuring out, all right, well, what are my images gonna look like? Well, I'm not gonna know the budget until I storyboard because this shot requires us to get a jib and it's gonna require these three different extras, but we don't need sound on that day because it's just this one shot that doesn't have sound and we're gonna do that in post-production. Okay, what sounds do we need in post-production? Do we need a budget for that? Do we need to pay a sound designer for that? Um, And so it's like kind of just, getting these estimates on where everything is going to fit into play. And I've made enough films now to kind of know, all right, I know what I can do. I know what I need to pass off to other people. I know roughly what it's going to cost, especially on an indie level like this. And so then I can kind of measure some of that out and figure out where we're going from here. So the next main steps for us is we got to shoot a promo that's really kick ass. We need to really prove to everybody who is already following the movie that it's going to look Better than every other indie movie that you see, that this is going to be a movie that could hold up to other things that you would see in the theater. That's something that I want to promise to the audience. And I really want to just prove to them that I know how to do it because I've been doing it long enough. Um, And so it's like bringing together those elements and then figuring out budgeting and financing and then getting our investor completely on board. So we have an investor lined up. It's all about sort of. Getting everything else lined up so that that those dominoes can fall at the right time, so that way we can shoot. Coming uh, end of next year is what I'm hoping for.
1: Great, congratulations. So, uh, so yeah, let's talk about your, I mean, your investor in the abstract. You don't have to give me any details on that. Mm-hmm. But, but what is it like finding an investor and going through that process?
0: <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I mean, it's so. It happens so dramatically differently with everybody. So it's like, well, there's a bunch of different methods of doing it. And I kind of tested out a couple of those different methods, one of which was, well, can we raise it from the friends and family that we know? And I kind of got a good measure of that, of like, how much can I raise from the friends and family that I know? And there is a certain pretty significant amount that you can get from that, but it does cap out at a certain point, Mm -hmm. unless you happen to get that one person that's like, I like what they're doing here. I just want to make this project happen. That's what I think people are ultimately looking for, but that's something I don't think that will just come. I think you have to put in the work. I mean, the main thing, because we just ran the campaign, the Kickstarter campaign, and the biggest value I got from that was the advertising from it. The mere fact that you're posting about it so frequently that everyone is aware of this. They start telling their friends and family about it, and then you start getting connections. When you have conversations with people, they say, oh, I have this uncle who really loves – these types of movies and he's really involved in supporting the arts in these x y and z ways. Um, and so then you're like okay well then that's a person that I should reach out to and talk to and see if I want to get them involved. And then you got to figure out well how do you want to get them involved because I am in very business mindset so it's like well what do they get from it? Well this is a really interesting movie because we don't have guaranteed distribution. We don't have a guaranteed return on investment. So it is very much a donation. Okay, but if it's a donation what can we offer? Well If we win awards in certain festivals, do they wanna go to those festivals? Okay, if we do get distribution, can we cut in some back end on that? Can we actually make a profit from this? So it's like, that's the side of things, of the filmmaker side that I feel like most filmmakers never really think about, and then they kind of rely on finding a good producer for, in order to kind of pull that together. That really helps finding an investor, Um, But also there's just a lot of it. That's like, do you have the right friend in the right place at the right time? Like our investor is a personal family friends. And it's like, yeah, I've known him essentially my whole life. And he has a business that is successful. And we're getting to the point of like, all right, if we can get this to the point that we want it, then that will cover almost everything that we need. And so use utilizing that as our foundation and then saying, all right, who are other people outside of that? Once you have one person committed, it's a lot easier to get other people committed Mm -hmm. because then they say, okay, this person is willing to put a giant risk down on these guys. How are they going to do it? Okay. Now I'm willing a little bit more to say, all right, well, I have $10,000 that I've been wanting to give to a project. How do I, can I contribute to that? What do I get from that? How can I bring all these different people together? And then there's something huge to be said for like, I think people are kind of hungry to make something good. And so if you can really make something good and put in that effort and get everyone involved, I think they kind of just want to be involved because then they get to have their name attached to something that's good.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And then also there's a part of it that I think a lot of investors were creatives or are still creatives or hunger to be creatives, in which case then a lot of the time it's inviting them into the project and saying, what do you have to offer? Like, what can you participate in? How can you help us make this? because money is just a transfer of energy. It's like, well, instead of putting all your money into it as your transfer of energy, do you wanna give us actual energy? Or do you wanna give us both? Because then it means so much more. It's like, yeah, no, the amount of effort I put into this is like worth 10 times what the budget of the movie is gonna end up being. Mm -hmm. But that's because I've invested in making the movie that I wanna see. And so it's like, there's just a kind of, I think, an understanding of that money. And then I also think there's a little bit of fear people have around money. I mean. understandably so but of like there's different tiers i found of money and how people think about money and once you start getting to the higher tiers of large lump sums they begin to think of it more as a lump sum and idea than they do twenty dollars that are going to pay for your meal like twenty dollars that pays for your meal is almost harder to get from somebody than a hundred thousand dollars for grand idea the people who have a hundred thousand dollars to give wants to believe and support in something, some philosophical idea, something beyond us, beyond just what we're doing on our day-to-day, beyond the material, and I think tapping into that really helps take it to kind of a grandiose place, and I love that about filmmaking too, where it's mythic, it feels mythic, everyone involved is getting into the drama. Actors up on the screen are not particularly special in any way other than that they've trained to be these actors, but why then do we have this association with them being famous? What is that idea? Well, it's a mythos. It's essentially the same version, our modern day equivalent to what it was for the demigods back in ancient Greece, right? Or any of their myths. They're these icons, these people that we sort of aspire to look up toward that we deify being beyond human. And so it's like, okay, that, once you get into that realm, then money all of a sudden starts changing its attitude and how it works. This is what I've so far understood, but I'm also very early on in this phase. And so I don't know most of this. A lot of this, I'm sort of just figuring out and developing and seeing, okay, well, maybe that's a thing. Maybe that's something I can tap into. Maybe it's not. And Mm -hmm. so then it's like trial and error. And you're like, all right, well, what works? What doesn't work? How do we get to where we need to go?
1: Yeah, so with this film, have you already, I guess, built up an audience who would watch it or are you figuring that out as you go along
0: it's both so we have a decent foundation now so most of the campaign kickstarter stuff was kind of building that audience and so it kind of taught me of like all right who is that audience where do we kind of tap into that how do i create material for those people how do we get them involved in the process because that's the big thing it's like we're building relationships like anything else as we're sort of developing and promising them an idea and then joining them in that idea as though that idea is a friend that we all want to be friends with. Mm -hmm. And so then we are sort of building that up along as we go. So yeah, it's like, yeah, right now our audience is very small and, but it was zero essentially three months ago. And so it's like, all right, well, here we go. Now we're getting momentum and every single day there's new people coming to the movie and I'm thinking of new ways to sort of continue to sort of build that audience. So that way we have an audience. But also at the same time, there is something huge to be said of I don't want to rely on an internet audience for this movie. I don't want to finish the movie, just release it online, and expect 20,000 people to watch it. Like that's not what I want from this. I want it displayed up on the big screen. Okay, mm-hmm. how are we going to do that? How do we run these different events? How do we create some hype around this? Also, how do we get the next project? Like how do we get this in the, in front of the right people? To me, it's more important that this finds longevity and that the people who want to see it can. But more so that it gets in front of the right people that say, okay, you did something really special here. We want to do more of that. And here's how we're going to do it. And so some of it's a little bit of both. It's like, all right, let's build an audience, make sure we have that foundation. But also, let's be smart about where we put the movie. So that way, we can make another movie. That's kind of a thing that's always in contention. Mm
1: -hmm. So how are you, I guess, how are you figuring this part out right now? So how are you figuring out Like potentially the best places to put your movie up or the people to get it in front of?
0: Uh, Mostly through Facebook. So I kind of people really hate their Facebooks, but I realize it's because people don't really curate their Facebook. And so I realized there's a ton of groups on Facebook that you can join um, about really just every varying different subject that you might be interested in. And so then for me, I'm like, well, what are the different aspects of this movie that I really love and that I would wanna see? And then where would I want to see those? And so it's like, well, fantasy art. I love good fantasy art. Some of the best artists I think are in fantasy art and it's kind of a niche little community, but that's the sort of visual style that I wanna represent in this movie. And So then I say, all right, well, what are images that I have in that vein or concept art that we have in that vein that I can share in these particular places and then lead them back to the page, see who's interested, see who likes this type of thing. And that's just aesthetically. And then also we're really inspired by Jung, Carl Jung's work uh, for this movie and sort of embracing the dark sides of our nature in order to get mastery over them. And so then there are a couple of Jung groups that I follow where I'll post the sort of story videos that we talk about uh, okay, here's the theme of the movie. And here's how we're gonna explore that theme. And here's some ideas around that and see how people respond. I mean, that's where I've got the best feedback is from those Jung groups where they're they're excited. They're like, yeah, no movies are ever made of it, that sort of pull from Jung's ideas. This is something that we really wanna see. And so then you get good feedback from there and say, okay, well, it didn't work as well over in the, the romance fantasy area, but it works really well in the fantasy art community. And then it works really well in the Jung community. Okay, those are ones that I know I can work with and amplify. Alright, what are some other ones. Okay, and then you start thinking a little out of the box like well obviously there's all just the filmmaking community here in Colorado, but then there's also like a uh, independent the effects or mythic dark horror and. Uh, Music composition. There's a a bunch of these different areas where you're like, all right, well, what are the excellent aspects of our film? And then how do we find those specific places? Because that's a big thing with the movie is like, well, you want it to reach every audience, right? You want everyone to want to watch it and everyone to want to see it. But then you want your core people who are the people who will see it no matter what, who are hungry to see it, who are like, yes, that was my thing. And I want to share that with my friends and I want to rewatch that a bunch of times. And so that's kind of what I'm identifying through. And mainly through Facebook is because what Facebook is what I use. It's what I'm most familiar with, and it's kind of what I have most experience with. And then I'm very aesthetically based, so I love taking the time to say, what is this gonna look like when it's showing up on your screen, when it shows up on your phone? How do I have the right amount of text and the right aspect ratio for this video or for this image so that it will perfectly appear in the way that I would wanna see it if I was scrolling? That's the only good thing that I can base any of this off of is what would I want to see and how would I want to see it? Everything else is sort of just speculation. Mm-hmm. And then you get feedback from that and you say, OK, well, let's adjust it here and here. OK, now let's resubmit it and see how it does this time around. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's almost like audience testing in a certain way, um, but a little bit more direct. Like you get the actual feedback yourself rather than finishing the movie showing it in front of a bunch of people, having them fill out a questionnaire, and then saying, all right, here's what worked and here's what didn't. Instead, I get to just sort of do that in the beginning of, like, who's really excited?
1: With, with COVID happening right now, how are you thinking about or rethinking about the distribution model? So I, I know earlier you mentioned that you really want to see it on the big screen, but in a time right now where people aren't going to watch movies in, you know, a traditional movie theater, have you rethought kind of how you wanted, like is a, is Netflix uh, or, you know, an online distribution platform mm-hmm. a, a better option for you right, right now or how are you thinking about that?
0: Yeah, it's both. So we don't know the future of movie theaters right now, but most certainly they're in contention and we don't know what that's going to look like, but it's definitely going to change. Um, It's not going to be how it was. Uh, Smaller movies just probably aren't going to find their way into theaters unless they know that there's going to be an audience that is going to go to them no matter what. Um, And so, yeah, everything is going to sort of start moving to streaming online. Um, And, yeah, I'm planning essentially for that. Like the ideal is to, yeah, get on Netflix and to be picked up as a series and then have a show and a series that we make on Netflix. It's why we designed it the way that we did. It's a whole complete story, but it's 45 minutes long. And so it's it's a complete movie where you have the journey, but it sets up just enough pieces that it plays as a pilot. And so then we have this pilot, essentially, that we sort of get a pitch around to these different networks and say, hey, do you want to make this into a series? If not, then we find a different platform to be able to sort of release it in that way. And that's what I'm kind of excited for to sort of see over the next couple of years. It's why I like that we have so much time as well is. The medium is changing. Netflix has sort of proven it. In the way that they'll release seasons of a show where certain episodes are 20 minutes long and then other episodes are 45 minutes long the audience doesn't really care how long a traditional episode is anymore because we're not trying to fill in a time slot with commercial breaks we're just sort of telling the stories the way they need to be told at the length that they need to be told and then we have a a platform where i mean part of the reason why i developed i decided to make it the length that it was is because usually when you get to about 45 minutes to 60 minutes in a movie is when I start to kind of lose a little bit of interest. That's where people lose steam in their movies is in the switching from the second to the third act or really in the midst of the second act is where they kind of lull usually. And so I was like, well, I would want to see something that kind of just got to it and it just ended when it needed to end rather than it continues to sort of drag out and we have to make it 90 minutes in order to call it a feature. No, we just make the story the length that we need to and then keep a very, very keen, close eye on what is the industry doing? How is it changing? And where do we fit into this model? And so like there's part of it that we might have to create a little bit of a model, but also there's never been a better time in filmmaking to figure that out. I mean, every single film um, movement was a reaction to what was happening before. And so we're really curious to sort of see all right, what is happening here? How do movies sort of find new life in a material way where we all get together as a community and share in that experience versus as a private way where I do sit at home and I am half browsing my phone while I watch a thing. And so it's like, yeah, they're two very different types of mediums. And I want to experiment a little bit in both. I love the idea of doing uh, uh, screening events. Um, It really depends on how COVID is a year or two years from now. Um, But just three screenings. And that's the only time you get a chance to see it in the movie theater. And if you didn't get to go, you don't get to see it in that way. Otherwise, we're doing a distribution deal with some sort of streaming service where then you can kind of rent it or watch it. And so some of that still has to be figured out. But I also have time and I'm in the early runs of making it to be able to figure that out as we go. And some of that I have to just kind of know how the industry changes. It's like, all right, we'll just keep our eyes open and eyes peeled because yeah, it's changing. (laughs) And it's scary to figure out. All right, well, what's this going to look like?
1: Mm-hmm. so talk to me about the idea of fear um, a lot of what you're doing is again still, you know, figuring out why as, you kind of, as you go along um, and pulling together resources and, and all different types of things um, all at the same time so how do you approach fear and the unknown and how do you push past it
0: yeah I mean a big thing for me is I don't want to live a life with fear and so there's a lot of times where it comes up and then I have to kind of process and figure out what I'm feeling. And so then I, and I do that very slowly and internally. And so I try to say, all right, well, what am I afraid of? And it's about identifying, I think, that element of fear. And so a lot of that sort of gets translated into anxiety. But anxiety and excitement are oftentimes hand in hand. And so oftentimes, I'll try and distort it into being, it's not anxiety, it's it's excitement. And so then it becomes a thrill. And then also, I do have enough of a kind of existential, I think, acceptance that we are all very much going to die. And once you can really kind of tap into that and feel that you're actually going to die at some point, there's the biggest most overwhelming feeling of humility that comes with that. And once you have that, then everything else just feels like play. And so then the biggest adventure or the biggest fear or threat is just a big experiment in play because yeah, you might die from it, but you probably aren't going to. And if you can be okay with dying, then you get to sort of do it with arms wide open and with full vigor And that's much easier said than done 100%. And you definitely go in flows of like, well, no, there are times where I feel like I've accepted my death. And then other times I'm like, no, I love what's going on right now. It would be a tragedy if I were to die. But I think it's riding those waves a little bit. So I'm getting better at waking up and saying, how am I at now? Am I good? If I'm not good, can I be okay not being good? And sit with those feelings and work through them and let that inform what comes next and not let it dictate your life but also not bottle it down i mean that's why i wanted to make this movie is like i feel like today there's a giant population of people who scapegoat their darkness and Mm -hmm. their shame and their Mm -hmm. struggle they sort of say "No, no 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 i i i'm fine i'm a good person and we're all trying to justify that we're good people. And I'm of the opinion that no one's a really good, good person. I think we're all pretty screwed up and to a very core level, and that none of us really re- deserve redemption. And yet we have the opportunity for redemption nonetheless. And so then when everyone is really deserving of death, then what do we do with life? And so then it's, I found that the only way of being able to have To live in a way that provides gumption and confidence and strength for both you and for those around you is to be able to look at that shadow side of yourself to say, yes, you're there. Yes, you exist. Yes, you sometimes make decisions for me and I hate that, but I don't hate you. You are important to me. You are an important aspect of me because without you, I would not be whole because light is only as good as the dark that represents it and like those two are a battling force that need each other and so then i like to use the dark in order to fuel the light and then vice versa and i think those that battle is the battle of humanity in a certain respect and i don't feel like people talk about that very often and i wish people did more i think it would ground us in a way that we would understand so much more about each other and the struggle that we all go through. And it would just kind of give us patience. Where we're like, Hey, we're all kind of just trying to figure this out. We don't know what we're doing, but we're doing our best. And then we can sort of have a little bit more room to say, and he's probably doing his best. And if he's not, how do I help him or say, yeah, that's okay. Like I, I like doing that of feeling like the person in the room that is going to kind of just accept you no matter what you've done. I don't care how heinous it is. I'm just going to sort of accept you and be like, yeah, that's how you are. And that doesn't mean that it's okay. That doesn't mean that it's acceptable, but it allows real conversation to happen. And when real conversation can happen, real change can happen. I don't think people are changed by um, logic or statistics or through um, forcing behavior on people. I think people are changed through one-to-one individual um, relationship or private revelation. I mean, mainly because those are the ways that I'm changed. And so it's like, well, if I can create a communication format, a story, essentially, that allows someone to have a private space to be able to reconcile some of their darker natures, then I've done more than I could have ever hoped to do, while also giving them a really fun, enjoyable ride. Like, yeah, no, I love movies just because they're fun, too. Like, I want to do both. I want it to be just entertaining where we have two hours of escapism, But then also we leave with some little piece of wisdom that gets to hang on to our hearts and say, all right, now we know a little bit better how to do this crazy
1: fucking thing called life. As a filmmaker, what are some of your favorite films? Mm. The movies that made me want to make movies are the Lord of the
0: Rings trilogy. That still, to me, feels like the peak of... How, I mean, that those they're so masterful in so many different ways and so beyond their time. Mm-hmm. They uh, invented technology for it. They perfectly cast it. They brought fantasy to the screen in a way that had never been done before. And uh, I've never had anything other than Star Wars that's done that same sort of magic for me, especially as a child. Um, if I were to talk about some of my favorite movies that I've seen since then, it would be um, In Bruges has a special place in my heart. That's like mm-hmm. a British gangster film. It's yep. uh, just one of those masterfully written movies that feels just tight and complete and was a movie that just shocked me and surprised me by how enjoyable it was. And then also Amelie. Um, it's a French movie. And that movie again had visuals unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I thought getting, going into that movie was a horror movie and it ended up being this very French romance movie. And it, I am a deep, deep lover of love and to capture an authentic love that transcends. And when movies can do that in a way that hits my heart that way, those movies end up being kind of my favorites. So Pride and Prejudice is another one of my favorites. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, that movie is just a masterpiece. I don't care which version of it you're talking about. I love the Kira Knightley version and I will watch that movie every year. Mm -hmm. um so there's certain like themes and ideas that usually end up being my favorite movies and then there are other aspects of filmmaking that i really enjoy and admire so yeah it's like favorite movie versus best movie is always a different kind of conversation but uh, those are i think some of my favorites
1: wonderful with everything that you've done and experienced so far what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received
0: I feel like the the one that hit me that was the first one that I ever felt was um, I was raised Christian and there's a complicated relationship around that but there was one sermon about your yes being your yes and your no being your no and I remember that hitting because I am a chameleon in a lot of ways I like to make other people around me feel safe and comfortable and seen and sought and oftentimes at my own detriment of standing up for what I believe in and what I feel is right. And it was a really good lesson in, Micah, if you say yes, do it and do it fully. If you're not gonna do it, say no and say no fully. Hmm. There's a lot of, I think a lot of conflict and struggle comes from indecision. And so as I get older, I'm working more and more on having a solid decision and sticking to it once I do it. Having a decision of conviction. Mm -hmm. so I think that's probably the best.
1: Great, well, Micah, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to obviously support your work, see your movie, or follow you online, where are the best places they could go to do that?
0: Best place would be Facebook or Instagram. So facebook.com slash thenobleanimal. Um, and Instagram is uh, Noble Animal Film and so either one of those is good if you want to sort of see the artwork that we have, some of the video clips talking about the story and then also once we get our promo completed that's where you'll be able to follow and see what the movie is actually going to look like
1: Excellent So I will put links in the show notes so people can click right through Awesome Again, thank you so much, Micah This has been, been an absolute pleasure
0: Thank you so much, this
1: is great, appreciate it